That's good. You can be seated. Uh, about 40 years ago, I was a fresh, college freshman at a junior college in uh, Iowa, and I was taking an art history course. I was an unbeliever, and I had an art history instructor who was a believer. And through the course of the semester, he would show us artwork, and much of Western art was funded by the church, and so it told the story of Jesus Christ. And so all semester, he is sharing the gospel with us through paintings and uh, sculpture and art. We get to the final, and the last class before the final, he just takes us through the whole, kind of the whole semester. What he really did was he took us through the whole story of Jesus Christ. And so I'm sitting there seeing picture after picture come up, and one popped up, and it really caught my attention. It was a, a kind of a rolling green pastoral scene, and in the middle of the pasture, there was a big gold box, and on top of the gold box, there was a sheep, and the sheep had been stabbed in the side, and blood was gushing out of the side of this sheep, and it was flowing into a gold cup, and people were bowing down in front of this sheep on that box. And so I raised my hand, and he called on me, and I said, what's the deal with that sheep bleeding into that cup? He said, well, the sheep represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. He's pouring out his blood as a sacrifice for uh, the sin of the world, my sin, your sin. I said, oh. Go on, shows me a few more pictures. Then he shows a picture of it's, uh, some people putting on some white robes and kind of distorted characters, and, and, uh, and they're putting on these robes, and kind of an odd picture. And I said, well, what's, what's that one about? And he said, well, that's the martyrs receiving, martyrs of Jesus Christ receiving their white robes. I said, well, when did that happen? He said, well, that hasn't happened yet. I said, you mean there's stuff in the Bible that hasn't happened yet? And he said, yeah, lots of stuff. I said, like what? He said, well, see me after class. And so after class, we sat down together, he shared the gospel with me, and I gave my heart and life to Christ. So for 40 years, those two paintings have, have kind of meant something to me. But it wasn't until recently, you know this Whispers of God series that we just did? You guys thought we did that for you. No, we did that for me. Uh, I have really been longing for God to speak into my life and to the direction for my life and direction for Rockbrook Church and what are we going to do next. And God has been speaking through scripture and through circumstances and events and godly people speaking into my life. And over the last few months, uh, I have uh, had an increasing burden uh, for the persecuted church, uh, for those who have been martyred and are being martyred uh, for the faith. And so today, um, actually, in, in, in light of that, just this week, uh, for some reason, I went back and, and uh, on the interweb thingy, you know, I, I looked up those, those two pa- portraits, those two paintings that, that I had, had looked at, and it dawned on me for the first time in 40 years that in both of those paintings, martyrs are the people who are worshiping that lamb. Martyrs are the people who are receiving their robes. God brought me to faith in Jesus Christ with images of people who were martyred for the faith. And so things started to kind of fall into place here. Well, as part of this journey, I uh, met uh, Zachary Taylor. Zach, come on up. Not Taylor, Terrell. Zachary Taylor was a president who's been dead for a couple of hundred years. You're not him, are you? No, and I'm not dead. And you're not dead. That's good. 
Um, but I uh, met Zach Terrell. And is Linda in here, or she may still be out at the table? Linda Swigert is here also. She's, she's a representative of, uh, of uh, Voice of the Martyrs, and you can meet Linda at the table. But I uh, had a conversation over lunch uh, with uh, Zach and was just impressed with the Lord that Zach needs to come and speak to Rockbrook Church. Uh, he is not here today on a whim, folks. Uh, he's here today as a messenger of the sovereign God of the universe. And uh, we are excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to be here. Let us have it. All right. Praise God. Good morning, Rockbrook Church. It is a pleasure to be here. It's an honor to be here. I love getting to go to different churches and see different cultures and uh, just be a part of the body of Christ. It's a privilege every time a church will open its doors and give us the opportunity to come and visit and, uh, and to share. I honor your pastor, Pastor Kelly, for opening up this service today and also Jim Eubanks for uh, inviting us. He was the one who reached out to the Voice of Martyrs and asked if we could supply a speaker or something like that. Uh, and I honor all of you for coming and listening today. I pray that it will be a blessing to you and, uh, and that God will speak through it. I'd like to open in prayer if that's okay. Please join me. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the, uh, the privilege of speaking before your body today here in Belton, Missouri. God, I pray that you would bless Rockbrook Church. Pray that as we open your scripture that you would speak to us, that you would make it alive in our hearts, that you would whisper to us in a voice that we can hear. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying so that we might respond appropriately. And help me to get out of the way as you speak today. And just say, God, speak for your people are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. First question I'd like to ask you today, it's in your uh, bulletin and on the screen, is a very simple question, but I can't give you the answer. The question is, if your life were to be reduced to one sentence, what would that sentence be? And we put on the screen a personal response required because this is a question that you have to answer with God for yourself. If everything about your life, all the things you have and all the things you do, what you do for a living maybe, or the ministries that you're a part of, if everything about your life were reduced and distilled down to one sentence, what would that sentence say? What would it say about God? What would it say about you? In the late 1950s, a man named Richard Wormbrand found out what his answer would be. He was a Lutheran pastor in Romania, and he was imprisoned for his faith because he was a Christian and because he stood up for Christ when uh, the culture around him was turning to communism, an atheistic system that denied the power of Christ. He was imprisoned for three years in an underground isolation cell. He was tortured. They beat his feet with rubber truncheons. They poked him with red-hot pokers. They denied him of sleep for weeks at a time. They throw him in a refrigerated cell, watch for the signs of hypothermia setting in so that they could bring him out, warm him up enough for him to continue to experience it and throw him back in again. They brainwashed him. For 24 hours a day, he heard messages that said, no one loves you anymore. No one believes in Jesus anymore. You are alone. They drugged him. They put drugs into the food, which was a, a piece of stale bread and a bowl of black soup every day. And so after three years of this treatment, he was brought before a, uh, a trial. And he was put on trial for the charges that they had trumped up against him, that he was an enemy of the state, that he was uh, planning subversive activities to overthrow the government, when all he'd actually done is preach the gospel. 
And so after a period of time with uh, bringing out these accusations and uh, all these false statements against him, and they had sat him in a chair, but he couldn't remain upright because his body was so ravaged. He also had tuberculosis that was untreated for a number of years. And he fell out of the chair multiple times. They had to prop him up and strap him into the chair in order for the trial to continue. And finally, one of the judges turns to him and the judge says, is there anything that you have to say for yourself? And at this point, he had been through so much and experienced so many different things. He said, I could no longer form coherent sentences. I could no longer think in words that made sense. I could no longer remember scriptures or theological arguments. I could no longer remember how to speak properly. And this was a man who spoke seven languages fluently. So this was a time when his life had been reduced to its very basest elements. And he said, I said, the only thing that came to my mind... When the judge asked him, do you have anything to say? The only thing that was left was three words, and they were, I love God. See, I want to be a Christian like that. I want to be a person who, when my life is reduced to the very basic elements of who I am and what my life is saying, I want it to say, I love God. I want it to say, Jesus is the victor. Richard Wormbrand, the man I'm telling you about, was eventually released from prison. After about 10 more years, he was ransomed for a sum of about $10,000. And he traveled to the West, and he founded a missionary organization, which was the fulfillment of a promise that he had made to other prisoners. The promise that he made was that if any of them made it to the West, they would found a missionary organization, the sole purpose of which was to reach behind the Iron Curtain and to share the gospel with those men who had persecuted and tortured them. Because they wanted them to see Jesus. And so he founded an organization that's now called the Voice of the Martyrs. And the Voice of the Martyrs today operates in over 40 different countries in the world, aiding and coming alongside the church wherever the church is persecuted for its faith. We categorize those countries in two different categories. The first category is a restricted nation. Restricted nations are nations where government policy or practice prevents Christians from obtaining Bibles or other Christian literature, or countries where government-sanctioned circumstances or anti-Christian laws lead to Christians being harassed, imprisoned, killed, or deprived of possessions or liberties because of their witness. These are countries like China, where it is illegal to print Bibles, where it's illegal to bring Bibles or distribute Bibles within the country. Or countries like Iran, where every citizen of the Islamic Republic of Iran must be a Muslim. Anyone who's a Christian pays an additional tax and cannot hold uh, any position in the government or um, vote. These are countries where official government policy restricts the practice of Christianity. Second categorization of, of nations is hostile areas, hostile nations. Hostile nations are nations where the local government consistently attempts to provide protection for Christian populations, but Christians are victims of violence because of their witness. These are countries like Colombia, where the FARC army is a guerrilla organization that attacks and controls most of the country because the government can't control it. They live in the, in the uh, jungles and they attack uh, Christians because Christians don't have an allegiance to a worldly power. They have an allegiance to Jesus. And this is also like uh, India, where over the last decade, hostility has grown in regard to uh, Christianity by radical Hindus. So there are all these different countries all over the world where Christians are persecuted for their faith. And those are the areas where Voice of the Martyrs comes and finds those Christians and says, how can we help? 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Kelly asked me, how did I become involved with the Voice of the Martyrs? How did I become an area representative? And I told him how God spoke to me. I actually uh, spoke to the director of the volunteer network that I'm a part of about a year before I became an area representative. And, um, and we talked about the possibility of it. We agreed to pray together for a season. And I prayed for about a year about this opportunity uh, until one day I was reading through my Bible, just reading uh, during normal reading time. And I came to a verse in Leviticus 5. Leviticus 5, the first verse says, now, if any person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he is a witness, whether he is seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he will bear his guilt. In other words, what that verse is saying is if you are a witness and there's a public call to testify, whether you saw it firsthand or otherwise became aware of it, when you hear the public call to testify, if you do not respond, then your guilt is upon you. And this verse transformed the way that I was looking at this opportunity because previously I thought to myself, should I do it? Do I want to do it? Is it consistent and compatible with the call of God on my life? Is it something that fits with the things that I'm doing in my life? So it changed from do I want to do it do I, to instead do I want to have blood on my hands? Because if I don't respond to this call, then I will bear my own guilt. But that's not the reason I'm a rep. That's how. That's the story of how I became a rep, okay? Uh, I want to share with you who, who, by a showing of hands, owns a pocket Bible? A few. Who owns a Bible, any Bible? Almost, okay, who does not own a Bible? No hands. The uh, Zondervan publisher says that the average American Christian owns nine Bibles and is currently in the market for a tenth. I keep the average up. I own at least 14 Bibles, personally. Uh, my family has more. There are at least 20 Bibles in my, in my household. But this is my pocket Bible, and it's probably different than the pocket Bibles that some of you have because this Bible is written in Korean. Now, I don't speak or read Korean, but I have this Bible because it reminds me that in Korea, in North Korea, this Bible is a death sentence. You can be publicly executed without a trial for carrying this Bible in North Korea. In the late 90s, there were refugees from North Korea into China because the government first policy made it so that there was not enough food to go around. So these people who were starving to death left Korea in search of food in the Chinese rice fields. The Voice of the Martyrs uh, funded several safe houses along the border. These North Korean refugees would be taken in, they would be fed, they would be clothed, they would be taught the gospel. They'll be told about Jesus. And some of these Koreans who came to faith in Christ within weeks of learning about Jesus said to themselves, I want to go back into that country and I want to share the gospel with them. So these people who were brand new in the faith, new converts within weeks or months of having come to a faith in Jesus Christ, were willing to lay down their lives because they came from a country that was starving them to death, but they said to themselves, I come from a land where there is no bread and I want to take it to them. See, these are people who know that the gospel is worth dying for. The reason that I'm an area representative for Voice of the Martyrs is because I want to believe that the gospel I live for is worth dying for also. You know, we send send balloons of scripture fragments into North Korea from South Korea. And uh, I'm asked sometimes, why would you do that? And it's similar to the question, why would you smuggle Bibles when, when they're illegal? 
We send these scripture uh, balloons into North Korea knowing that they're a death sentence because there are Christians on the other side who are willing to die to get them. I'm also reminded of a graduation ceremony that I heard about in, uh, five or six years ago in India. There are several different uh, Bible schools that will use this oath in their graduation ceremonies. And in this particular one, a group of graduates were ambushed on their way to the ceremony. And these students were attacked by radical Hindus and beaten with rods and clubs. So when they arrived at the ceremony, there was blood coming off of their head and on their clothes. And when, when they stood up to give the oath, their blood was still fresh on their bodies. But they said these words. They said, I surrender this body on earth to the perfect will of Jesus. And should my blood be spilled, may it bring forth a mighty harvest of souls. See, these are people who are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. And so as you hear me say that Leviticus 5 said to me that I don't want blood on my hands, you might think that what I'm talking about is the blood of those martyrs. That what I think is that I need to come and share with you the story of the poor Christians around the world who are suffering and who need your help. But that's not it. The thing that I need to share with you today is that Jesus is alive and victorious Leonard Ravenhill, a number of years ago, preached a sermon in which he said, Christianity was not served up to the world on a silver platter. Christianity was birthed in a hotbed of affliction. It was walled in on one side by Greek intellectualism. It was walled in on the other side by the monopoly the Jews thought they had on God. And it was blocked ahead by the greatest military machine in the history of the world, the power of Rome. And yet somehow they broke out. These men who had no financial backing, no formal education, no seminary degrees, turned the world upside down. And when men heard them preach, they said that they could tell that they had been with Jesus. See, the cross is not a story of defeat. The world did not receive Christianity served up to it on a silver platter. The world received Christianity served up to it on a cross on the hill of Calvary. But it's not a story of defeat. The cross is a story of victory. The cross is a story of triumph. And the story of the persecuted church is a story of triumph. Colossians 2.15 says, And having disarmed, disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is a story of triumph. And the persecuted church is a story of triumph. See, these stories don't all end well. There are stories where people are are saved from death miraculously, where guns will not fire, where husbands and wives and daughters and sons are spared from the hand of their enemies by the miraculous hand of God. But not all the stories end well in this world, but they all end so well in the world to come. I want to ask you for three things this morning, and these three things are what I consider to be the biblical response to the persecuted church, to knowing about the persecuted church. Number one, Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, and the word witnesses in Greeks is martyrs. Since we have such a great cloud of martyrs surrounding us, in other words, since there is martyrdom, since these people are bearing witness to Jesus through their suffering, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that's marked out for us. Your first response, and the one thing that I would like to ask you to do on behalf of the persecuted church, if I'm a voice for the martyrs today, 
What I want to ask for from you, if there's one thing that I can ask, it's that you run for Jesus, the race that's marked out for you. Because what they're saying, what the persecuted church is communicating by their suffering is that Jesus is still alive and Jesus is still worth it. And in those areas where darkness is its very greatest and the devil is doing his hardest work to destroy the gospel, the light of Jesus is still shining and it's shining bright. Number two, I'd like to ask you to pray. I'd like to ask you to pray for persecuted Christians and the cause of Christ. For, uh, in areas where Christians are persecuted for their faith. Uh, the Voice of the Martyrs is a missionary organization, but it's not like other missionary organizations. Many missionary organizations, their purpose is to train, equip, and release missionaries into areas to do the work. That's wonderful, but that's not what we do. What we do is we go into areas where Christians are persecuted for their faith. We find those Christians who are doing it in those areas, and we ask them, how can we be a part of what God is doing here? And so that ministry takes many, many different forms, from providing literature to providing transportation to giving medical attention to people who have suffered in recent attacks or rebuilding churches that have been raised. But the number one answer by all Christians in all places at all times is pray for me. Pray for me. Number two is Bibles. Number one request is pray for me. And they don't ask, pray that the persecution would stop. They ask the same thing that Paul said in Colossians. When Paul said, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we, it will, we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have been imprisoned that I may, make, I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4. See, they don't say pray that the persecution would stop. They say pray that the door for the word would be open. And just like Richard Wormbrand founded a missionary organization, the purpose of which was to reach back and to bring his persecutors to Christ, they say, help us that we might preach the gospel under this persecution. And help that God would open the word, that it would be effective and bring forth fruit, that we might win Saul's to be Paul's for Jesus. They say, pray for us that the gospel would be effective here. And number three, I want to ask you to remember. The foundation ministry verse of the Voice of the Martyrs is Hebrews 13.3. It says, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Remember. Remember them. See, this is not a political story. This is not a question of human rights only. This is not a question of government policy and radical Hinduism. This is a story of the body of Christ, and it is your body. This is not just nations over there. This is you here in Rockbrook Church, Belton, Missouri. This is what God is doing in your life. This is the victory of the faith that we are a part of. And I want to ask you to remember what we're talking about today. Just by a showing of hands, who right now is thinking of their right foot? I got two. I got three. This is the first time I've ever had more than one person raise their hands. Okay. <laughs> thinking of the right foot. These might be people who came to the earlier service. The reason you're not thinking of your right foot is there's nothing going on in your right foot. But if you stubbed your toe, if you sprained your ankle, 
If there was some reason for you to be thinking about your right foot, synapses would carry a message from your foot to your brain telling you that there is something which requires your attention. And as a response, as a reaction to that information, your brain would motivate your body to take action for that foot. So you might carry some of the burden on your other foot. You might pray for your foot. You would do something, right? Well, the Voice of the Martyrs has a monthly newsletter that we send out, and I'm going to ask you to sign up for it, okay? On your communication card, you can put your name and your address just on the other side, write VOM, and you'll receive the newsletter. It's absolutely free. You can also sign up out at the table out there uh, with all the literature if you don't have your communication card, but I hope you do. But I want to ask you for something else. I want to ask you to remember those in bonds as though bound with them since you are a part of the body. And I want to ask you to ask God, how can I do that? Because you've been in the midst of a series, and I'm so thrilled to hear it, about hearing from God. So I want you to go before God and ask, how can I put into practice? How can I react appropriately to this message if I'm a synapse carrying a message from the persecuted church today? How can I run with endurance the race that's marked out for me? How can I be faithful to pray for the persecuted church and the cause of Christ? And how can I remember those in bonds as though bound with them, since I'm also a part of the body? Thank you very much, Rockbrook Church. Let's pray together. Father, we would indeed pray that you would help us to run the race that you've set before us. God, we recognize that we are your unique masterpieces and that you have formed and shaped us for your service, that our hearts beat for you, that you have called us to live lives of meaning and purpose. And so, God, I would pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, our hearts and minds, that we would see what it is you would have each of us to do. And Father, right now we would pray for those who are being persecuted. We would pray for the martyrs in our midst, in our world. We would ask that you would grant to them special measures of grace and strength and for their families, that you would move into their lives in a very real way, and that your presence would be felt and your glory would be shown. And we thank you for the hope that they have of an eternal life as they yield this life to you. Father, we would pray for the persecutors. We pray for those who, uh, like Saul, were blind to the gospel, blind to the truth of Christ, that you would move into their hearts and minds and that you would open them up, that they might see Jesus Christ for who he is, that they would be converted, that their minds would be changed, their lives would be changed, and that the persecutors might become those who encourage and build up uh, the body of Christ. And God, I would pray you'd help each of us to remember that as we go about our days, that we would recognize the freedoms, the benefits, the comforts that we have, and that it would draw to mind those who live with much less, those who live in very difficult circumstances, and that we would pray for them, and that as members of the body of Christ, that we would hurt with them, and we would rejoice with them when there is victory, and that we could all look forward to that wonderful time when all of this will cease and Christ will rule and reign. God, we thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.